Uh, that was good for the three who responded. Good morning, everyone. Uh, and online, it's good to be together again, and just always a delight to be here at City Point Church. Thanks, Pastor Joe, again for the invitation. And uh, Marie and I just sent out a newsletter a couple of weeks ago regarding our ministry. We sent out about three to four per year. And in that newsletter, I mentioned that I am going to be involved on July 24th in what is called the Ride to Thrive. Our international missions director, Murray Cornelius, started this last year and uh, had people join him in a 100-kilometer bike ride that raised over $200,000 for communities, churches, pastors, in areas of the world where the pandemic has hit them very hard, where uh, lockdowns, where churches have had to close like all of us, but particularly, particular in countries of great need. And he decided to do it again this year, only this time in three locations, including the city of Ottawa. And I've been looking to do something to just give God thanks for his faithfulness in our lives. And so on June, uh, sorry, July the 24th, I'm joining Murray and others in our nation's capital to ride my bike 100 kilometers. My wife and I have been doing bike riding for a long time, but not 100 kilometers at a time. And uh, so we're doing a bit of training together, and uh, uh, we're expecting our second granddaughter around that time, so we're not sure if my wife will be able to join, but certainly I am. So in my newsletter, in our newsletter, I put out that if anyone wanted to join me, well, I got an email, and you'll know the person who responded. So Viano said, I'd like to join you. So Viano and I are going to Ottawa for July 24th, and the goal this year is to raise $300,000. And so Viano and I want to do our part. So uh, this is not for me. I'm saying if you would like to support Viano in the 100-kilometer ride, and uh, as you can tell, he's almost in as good a shape as me. Um, and I'm not going to slow him down, but I'm hoping he will speed me up. And so if you'd like to support him, I, I would encourage you to consider that. He will tell you the website that you can go to. So uh, we just look forward to July 24th. And it's for such an incredible cause. Nothing to do with us, nothing to do with our ministry. It's to support those who are in tremendous need around the world. Over 12 countries that this Ride to Thrive is going to support. So that's July 24th. Well, when faith meets reality. Now, I am not promoting graffiti. We have enough of it. I, I go into the city of Montreal, and our brand-new construction on the Turcotte Interchange is already filled with what they call artwork, but to me it's uh, anything but. But it just seems to destroy beauty. So I'm not promoting uh, graffiti, but when I saw this picture, it really does explain what I'm getting to this morning, especially that part, caution, reality ahead. Now, I looked at the other graffiti. I didn't think anything was there that we shouldn't have on the screen. If there's something that offends you, it's beyond my understanding. But really what I want you to concentrate on is caution, 
reality ahead. What happens when our faith meets our reality? And whether we like it or not, there are things in life that create a reality, even if we don't see it right away, but it may be ahead of us. Last time we were with you, I shared out of Luke 11, 9 to 10, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone. Strong word, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Some key phrases here, ask and receive, seek and find, knock, and the door will be opened to you. And along with these key phrases, I... I pull out two key words, the word will and everyone. So if you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, you will find, and if you knock, the door will be opened for everyone. That's a, that's a loaded word. For everyone who asks, receives. My question this morning is, what happens when you ask, and you seek, and you knock, but the door doesn't seem to open? Certainly in the way that you have asked for. In other words, what happens when faith meets reality? It may lead to some questions. When faith meets reality and things don't seem to pan out the way you've asked, is it a lack of faith? Is it a lack of persistence and boldness in prayer like we talked about the last time we were here? here here's a big one that a lot of people struggle with. Is it sin in your life that's causing this reality where it doesn't seem that your prayer matches the answer? Or is it fear that God may not answer the way we hope He will or the way we desire Him to do so? I come to the Apostle Paul this morning. I was, in preparation for this message, I was taken by 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And there's a number of texts this morning. They may seem long to you, but I've chosen them specifically because they really speak for themselves. And there'll be some underlining and emphasis to help us to understand that. It's really hard to believe that one person like the Apostle Paul could go through so many difficulties in a lifetime. And as I was reading this text, I, 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 I just kept going over it and over it. So uh, here we go quickly. What, what, uh, what anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And then it's like he stops and says, am I out of my mind to talk this way? I am more, he says. Now here we go. Listen to this list. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, 
and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. He just can't get away from it. This is one person. I have labored and toiled and have often, often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Very interesting that through everything he has gone through, he still comes back to the passion of his heart, the church. I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. So you think you have problems. I know some people who would think their list is even longer. They tend to like to tell you their long list. But folk, I, I, I don't know if too many of us have gone through this amount of problem. One man. And I'm not discounting a person who has a list of problems. But like I believe we talked about the last time, sometimes when we start to concentrate on ourselves, it's amazing how our list begins to grow when it's all about ourselves. But in Paul's life, these were realities. These, these, this man of faith, this apostle of Christ, was facing these realities throughout his lifetime. So very quickly this morning, let's talk about three tests of life. And the first test is the test of pride, Paul's thorn. It's interesting, in the very next chapter, on top of all that he's gone through, he, he talks about this thorn in his flesh. It's like a supersized splinter in the finger. This thorn in his flesh. There's, the Bible does not tell us what it is. Some think it was malaria. Some think it was epilepsy. Talk to my wife about malaria. She has had it uh, three, four, five times when we lived on the continent of Africa. She's endured it all. Some think it was malaria, some think epilepsy, some think he had a sight problem, but the Bible doesn't tell us what it is. But in the midst of all these things he's gone through, God gives to Paul some incredible revelations. The Bible says they were inexpressible visions and revelations that man is not permitted to tell. It was like it was classified, top-secret information that Paul was given. And as if he hasn't gone through enough already, goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10 to say, to keep me from becoming conceited. <laughs> that word conceited is excessive pride. There's pride and then there's pride. And this word conceit means excessive pride. So to keep me from becoming conceited, as if I haven't had enough problems, because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, 
a messenger of Satan. Hmm. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore. Now, hold on, folk. And some of you know what's coming. You know this passage well. But hold on here. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So that Christ's power may rest on me. No matter my reality, no matter what I've gone through all through my life, including this thorn in the flesh that I pleaded three times, God would take it away. I choose to boast the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, now, this one's tough. My wife, my wife and I had a conversation about this this morning. He says, I delight. I, I delight in my weaknesses. Now, when you go back to the original word for delight, there's allowance for a bit of a softening. For those who say, I cannot say this with Paul. I cannot delight in my weaknesses. So there's a bit of a softening for those who say, please, I can't, I can't handle this word. The, the, the original language talks about uh, acceptance or consent toward the weaknesses. So I don't delight in it, but I, I will try to accept it all. I'll consent for that weakness to be in my life. But the original language, even though it allows for that softening for those who say, I can't use the word delight, Paul really said, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Here it is. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, God did not answer Paul's prayer in the way that he asked. Have, have you ever felt that way? You've asked, and it doesn't seem God answers in the way you hoped he would or you think he should. But in the midst of his weaknesses, not only his thorn in the flesh, but all that he went through in that list we read, it's amazing how God's grace grew in Paul's life. It gave him a stronger character. It gave him a humility. This man who was persecutor of the church before he came to Christ and, and, and highly educated, and it brought a humility into his life. It brought him the ability to empathize with others. And really, at the end of the day, it was an occasion for Paul to know and prove the resurrection power of Jesus in his life. There's only one that can claim resurrection from the dead, and that is Jesus Christ. 
And Paul said, I'll tell you why I delight in my weaknesses. Because in my weakness, I am made strong through the resurrection power of Jesus. The same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that can reside in me to help me in my weaknesses, to even delight in my weaknesses. It's tough, isn't it? Not easy. Our role is to pray and believe and then trust that God's sovereign plan will be accomplished. Many of you have prayed for healing in the sickness that's in your body, maybe for years, and you hear of others being healed, and maybe even of the same disease, and it doesn't happen to you, and you don't understand why God chooses to heal some, why he chooses not to heal others, although you don't know what God is doing behind the scenes. You don't know that maybe through your sickness that God is strengthening your character. God is giving you greater grace and humility. God is giving you the ability to empathize with others. But I will tell you this, how we handle the situation will determine the impact our lives have on others. God can use healing to bring impact. But God can also use your thorn in the flesh and how you handle your thorn in the flesh to impact others and strengthen their faith. So that's the first test, the test of pride. The second is the test of integrity. Let's talk about Job for a minute and Job's messengers. The Bible describes Job as a blameless and upright man who feared God and shunned evil. Now, for those who say, is there sin in my life? Is this why I'm sick? I want you in particular to listen, but I would like all of us to listen. The Bible describes Job as a blameless and upright man who feared God and shunned evil. He wasn't perfect, just like we're not perfect. He was born in sin just the way we were, but he lived a life that was blameless and upright. As a matter of fact, Job 1.3 says he was the greatest man among the people of the East. Job, though, had a moment in his life when he had messengers of Satan, just like Paul's thorn in the flesh. At least five times Job was visited by messengers of Satan. And if you read through the first uh, chapter or two of the book of Job, uh, these messengers of Satan attacked his livestock his servants, and ultimately his family, and of course, ultimately Job. And yet in all of this, when his livestock was killed, his servants were killed, his family was killed, in all of this, Job 1.22 says, Job did not sin, here it is, by charging God with wrongdoing. Hmm. How many times in our lives do we tend to Blame God if it doesn't go our way. And yet Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And now, folks, this is where it really gets tough because God actually allowed things to happen in Job's life. Job 2, verse 3 to 10, it's worth reading through here. Follow with me. Then the Lord said to Satan, so God is speaking to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? Like if I'm Job, I'm saying, thanks God. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity. 
though you incited him to ruin him without any reason. And then Satan replies, oh, this is so typical of the enemy. <laughs> skin for skin. Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. He was challenging God and saying, you know what? Taking everything away from Job, you watch. He'll eventually curse you, and I'll get my way. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he'll surely curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, very well then. He is in your hands. You can do to him what you want, but you must spare his life. Uh, folk, maybe there's some Bible scholars that can handle this much better than I. I. I can't say I understand this. I can't say I understand fully that God would say, very well then, he's in your hands, but don't take his life. But I can tell you this. God tests us. He allows for testing to see what we're made of. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job, it was so bad, he took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Can you imagine? I haven't had shingles, but anyone who has had shingles, tells me it's the most painful thing. It would drive you crazy. Here's Job scraping his skin, and he's amongst the ashes. And his wife says to him, and ladies, no offense here, please. But his wife says to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Exactly what Satan was hoping for. Now, I didn't say this. It's in the Bible. Depends on the version, I suppose. But he looked at her and said, you were talking like a foolish woman. Some men are foolish too and say things they shouldn't. No amens on this one. And then he asks this question. Here it is. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? We all like it when it goes good. But are we willing to accept trouble, not just the good? And then in all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. So if you're feeling that there's sin in your life and that's why God hasn't answered prayer, well, Job was not perfect, but he had lots of opportunity to turn his back on God and curse God and sin. But in all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. So be careful about this sin in your life before you take that too far. There's some that would try to convince you of that. Have you ever taken time to consider that what you're experiencing is not because of sin in your life, but the opportunity to show others that no matter what you go through in life, your faith is stronger than your fear. That your faith is stronger than your fear. I love how 
Job ends after his three friends have just tried to make all the answers for him. And I thank God for friends. We talked about that the last time we were here, about true friends. They were trying to be true friends, and we all think we have the answer. When it was all said and done, Job said, As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty who has made me taste bitterness of soul, as long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness, and my tongue will utter no deceit. I will never admit you are in the right. Till I die, I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my righteousness and never let it go. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. Oh, if I had time today, I'd talk about finishing well. It's one of the things we do with our Quest Leadership Program. It's, it's one of our units where we will talk extensively about finishing well. So many people start well, but they don't always finish well because they don't really pass the tests of life they started well, but bitterness takes over, or they started well with their integrity, but corruption got in the way, like Pastor Joe talked about this morning. I don't have the time, but I challenge everyone in this room to make sure that you finish well, to be able to say, it is well with my soul, no matter what I go through. The third test that we talk about today is the test of the heart. And I'm going to wrap this up as quickly as I can, but would you give me the few more minutes at home? Don't grab another coffee because you'll make us jealous. Uh, we can't even have water here, so just stay with me for a moment. The test of the heart. Hezekiah's deadly illness. The whole story is in Isaiah 38 and 39. Let me just give you a capsule form. King Hezekiah becomes ill. He's at the point of death. And you can read it for yourself. The prophet Isaiah comes to him and says, put your house in order. You're about to die, and you're not going to recover. So Hezekiah goes to God in prayer. He turns to a wall. I can just see him doing this, as maybe some of you have done. You've turned to a wall, and you're just praying. And he said, remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion. Like, come on, God, I've, I've done my best to live for you all of my life, and I've tried to do what's good in your eyes. And the Bible says Hezekiah, Hezekiah excuse me, wept bitterly. And then God, for whatever reason, chooses to respond and say, I've heard your prayer and seen your tears, and I will add 15 years to your life. Paul pleads three times for the thorn in the flesh to disappear. It doesn't. He's gone through all of these realities in life. Job, all that he went through, and God doesn't seem to answer the way we would think we, he should. Hezekiah weeps bitterly. He's given 15 more years. Sometimes life doesn't make sense. MJ, in our journey, has asked God to give me another 30 years. I, 
I'm shocked that she can live with me that long. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know if I can live myself that long with myself, but she's asked God for 30 more years. I don't know if God's going to answer her prayer or not. I'm trying to make sure that I love her to death so that she'll want me to hang around for another 30 years, but I, I don't know. But that's what she's asking God for. You see, God's powerful hand of healing on Hezekiah's life was followed by a test. Every one of these examples this morning have a test that each had gone through. So did Hezekiah. This guy by the name of Marduk Baladan. Baladan was a Babylonian prince who was planning a revolt against Assyria, and he heard about Hezekiah's recovery from, from sure death, and so he sent an envoy to him with letters and a, and a gift in hopes of forming an alliance together so they could defeat Assyria. So here's Hezekiah's great opportunity to display the power of God and say to them, to these ungodly people, I prayed for God to extend my life by 15 years and he's done so. What an opportunity. What a, a great opportunity to say, great is thy faithfulness. God, look what God has done for me. I was dying and he's given me another 15 years. But interestingly enough, Hezekiah forgets about this 15 years and pride sets in and he shows to the envoy all of his treasures, which he claimed to be his own, but were only gained from others who came before him. They really weren't his at all. They were God's, but he claimed them to be his. He, he took this envoy into this house of treasures, his gold, his silver, and all that he owned, and he, he, he showed it to them with great pride. It amazes me that God answers his prayer, and instead of doing something with his life, pride sets in. It was a test. Matter of fact, the same story in 2 Chronicles 32, 31, but when the envoys were sent by the rulers of Babylon, uh, by the rulers of Babylon to ask him about the miraculous sign that had occurred in the land, God left him. Doesn't mean he literally left him, but he basically kind of stepped aside to see what Hezekiah would do, and God left him to test him and to know everything that was in his heart. The realities of life bring out the truths of our hearts, where our hearts really are at. God's power was replaced by Hezekiah's pride. Here's what's interesting. Eventually, it was not the Assyrians that Hezekiah needed to worry about. It was the very Babylonians who had come to him with gifts, who would conquer his city. The very people he showed his treasures to were the very people that he ultimately defeated him. So what's the take-home? I really do want you to take something home today. I really don't want you to leave this here. And this comes in a series of questions that I cannot answer for you. You've got to answer these questions yourself. And if you need these questions, I, perhaps Pastor Joe, there's a way through the PowerPoint to give people questions. I'll leave that to you. I can't answer these questions for you. They're not easy questions. It's a test, to be honest. When faith meets reality... Are you prepared to delight, 
I know that's a struggle for many. So we've softened it a little bit, and I'll even take it a step further. Are you willing to endure but not escape in hardships and difficulties with the understanding that God's grace is sufficient? It's a tough question. When faith meets reality, are you prepared to determine to never let go of righteousness and integrity no matter the cost? When faith meets reality, are you prepared to Devote yourself to trusting God by resisting the temptation associated with pride. When faith meets reality, are you prepared to decide to remain faithful to God in the good times as well as the times of trouble? Now, we come to church to be edified and lifted up. So I'm not wanting you to take home a negative, down, thanks for building us up. Don, you really built us up well today. We're, we're so encouraged. Oh, we're so deeply moved. <laughs> Sometimes, folk, we have to have a bit of a reality check because your faith is going to meet your reality. And sometimes they miss. They don't seem to match up the way we would like them to. So rather than seeing this as a downer today, it's... It's a bit of a challenge. It's, it's a test to take home. And it can't be answered with just a yes or a no or without some thought to it. When we looked at the illustrations this morning, two passed the test, one failed. But only you can decide which path you will take. I was thinking of Daniel and his three friends. In the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, when his three friends were cast into a fiery furnace, and just before they were put in the furnace, they looked at King Nebuchadnezzar and said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. Oh, I love that determination. And that's, the, that's what I want you to go home with today, that kind of determination. The God we serve is able to save us. He's able to heal us. He's able to, to, to minister into our situation. And he will, there's that word again, he will rescue us. That's faith. And I, I want you to go home with all the faith that you can in your heart this morning. And, and, and ask God to build your faith, no matter your circumstance. He will rescue us from your hand, O king. But if he does not, oh, but if he does not, we want you to know messengers of Satan, we want you to know. World, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And they were put into the, I know I'm speaking too loud, I've just woken somebody up. I want you to know that when they went into that furnace, King Nebuchadnezzar said, I thought we put three, three men in there. And they said, we did. How come I see a fourth? And this is for someone in this room this morning. In your situation, Jesus is the fourth man in your furnace of affliction. Never let him go. Never release your hand from his because he holds you by the right hand. He's with you. 
even when it doesn't feel like it. So let me ask you this question as Pastor Joe comes back. What would you do if God extended your life for another 15 years? I can't answer that for you, and I'm not going to tell you what I'm thinking. If God gives me 15 or 30, that's between me and God, and this is between you and God. There might be someone in this room or somebody online. If God gave you another 15 years, would you see it as your opportunity to turn your life to Jesus and to accept his Forgiveness of sin, that's why he died on the cross, so that our sins could be forgiven. And through his resurrection power three days later, that power can be a work in your life. And maybe this is an opportunity for you to say, if God gives me another 15 years, I will turn my life to him. It's not if he does, I will. Because you don't know whether you have 15 Years, 15 days, or 15 minutes, you don't know. But would you turn your life to Jesus? Maybe you're serving Jesus, and you haven't considered this question, maybe ever. If God would extend your life, what would you do with it? Would you go, and there's nothing wrong with this, would you go and spend your children's inheritance and live it up? to do all the things you've wanted to do knowing you've only got 15 years left. That's what you choose to do. I'm not critical of that. But I just ask you, if God were to give you 15 more years, would you prioritize things differently? Or would you say, God, I will do whatever you call me to do in the 15 years that you give me? It's a hypothetical question this morning, but I ask you to take that question home and ponder on it along with these four D words that I've given to you today. God bless you this morning. Okay, amen, Pastor Don. You've given us a lot to think about today. Uh, if you guys want to come to the stage and get ready, get ready with that song that you, the new one there, The God I Know. I think it would be very appropriate. Um, it reminds me of a funeral I did yesterday. And uh, for a senior lady who passed away at the age of 87, uh, but she passed away, uh, she was attending another funeral three weeks ago for a girl who was killed by a car at the age of 15. And so you have this family that comes into the same funeral home, you know, twice in three weeks uh, to mourn and to grieve. And uh, so we did the funeral yesterday for this lady. I knew her from, from Evangel, where Pastor Don and Marie Jose pastored for 13 and a half years. I was an, his assistant for eight plus years and did, uh, did a few more years after that. And um, so this lady, she was grieving at the funeral for her great niece uh, who was tragically struck by a car. And so we went to the, to the cemetery way out in Laval, got to the cemetery and we're ready to, to go ahead. And lo and behold, they put somebody else's casket. I've never seen this before. Somebody else's casket was in this lady's plot that we were about to bury. 
and the family was there. They were gathered around. They were paying their final respects. And so we had to work with the cemetery and say, well, you know, there's, there's been a mix-up and so on. Everybody was very gracious, and it only took a few minutes to resolve. And uh, while we were going through the, the, the ceremony of laying this lady, Grace David, to rest in her final resting place, at least for her physical body, uh, just a, just a few steps away was the was the the grave of Angelica John who was struck by a car, and just across the way was the grave of this lady. Uh, her a sibling, a sister, I think, was also buried in the same place. But it's it's so true, folks. We don't know if we have 15 minutes or 15 years, and uh, we have to walk through the time that we have with the Lord. And we have to be sure of that. And maybe you aren't today. Maybe you're in the room and you're not, you can't answer that question with certainty. It's a much more important question than anything else you're going to ever ask. Before you even get to this question, it will bring up the question of, okay, if if you've got 15 more years, what are you going to do for God in those years? Do you know God in those years that he may give you? Maybe you're online, same thing. And it's not a certainty in your life. So I want to pray a very, very simple prayer on your behalf. There's nothing magical about it. This is a prayer that, I mean, Pastor Don, you've led people in prayer in this way hundreds if not thousands of times. Hundreds if not thousands of people. Uh, but it, it's it's right out of the Bible, and and Jesus had a, a, a conversation leading to this prayer. And the, the man who prays it, he just says, "Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner." It, there's so much in there when we surrender our lives to God and we say, "God, I just want to know you. I just want to know your love and your forgiveness, your presence in my life." So I pray it today, Father. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, I surrender myself, my life to you. God, I pray for each person in this room, watching online, people who are going to watch later, people who listen to audio later, that we would have the answer settled in our hearts, that we know Christ, that we may walk through whatever life may throw at us, whatever we may face, that we may know Christ. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. You prayed that prayer today or something like it. You prayed it online. Uh, Please feel free to reach out to me. I'll be around at the front. You can come and talk to me privately. You can contact me via social media or via email or text. You can do the same online. But I'm going to just end the service now. Let the band go ahead or our two-man band. They sound pretty good, don't they? So I'm going to let them go ahead and play. Uh, If we can have Amber volunteer just to handle the giving table at the front, please don't run out too quickly. And feel free to talk with one another. You can keep your masks on as you do so. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your...